the safety surveillance systems in the United States around the COVID-19 vaccines has been historic. V-Safe is new, but the other uh, safety surveillance systems have been available for decades and helping to monitor all the vaccines that we administer to children as well as adults. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Donnelly. And today, our special guest is Dr. Henry Bernstein. He's a professor of pediatrics at the Zucker School of Medicine, and he is also a member of the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which just met. Before we jump into that, I just want to ask you, Dr. Bernstein, what tell us about what your role is on that CDC committee. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's exciting to be here in order to promote COVID-19 vaccines. The Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, known as the CDC, provides recommendations for the use of vaccines for effective control of vaccine-preventable diseases in the U.S. population. It is a group of interdisciplinary clinicians that include pediatricians, internists, family doctors, obstetricians and gynecologists, as well as public health officials and a consumer advocate. Now the ACIP generally meets three times a year, but in the face of the pandemic, we have already had close to 20 emergency meetings to discuss SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID-19 viruses. How long have you been on this uh, advisory committee? So this is my fourth year. In fact, it's a four-year term. So my term will be ending at the end of this year. Okay. And do you go for re-election? How does that work? <laughs> no. no uh, it, it, everyone, it, it's literally a four-year term and then there's new people. People are not, it isn't, uh, it, it isn't like uh, being uh, no, no re-elected. No bumper stickers. Yeah. <laughs> no. But I should say it's important to understand that that the ACIP functions with work groups and work groups are uh, created around diseases and the vaccines that are being developed to prevent them. And so uh, when members four year term ends, as I said, mine will be at the end of this year, we still are consultants to these various work groups going forward. This advisory committee also keeps a close watch on potential risks from the vaccines. Let's talk about how any adverse effects get reported. There are four methods of safety surveillance in the United States for COVID vaccines. I wonder if you could break that down for us, Dr. Bernstein, to sort of reassure people about, you know, how this process works and the infrastructure in place to respond to it. Yeah, I'm happy to, because you are bringing up an extremely important uh, point. And I do want to point out to individuals that the development of the COVID-19 vaccines has been historic. And yes, the process has been accelerated, but each step along the way in the development of these COVID-19 vaccines has been carried out. So it's not any steps being missed or compromised. 
All of the steps in vaccine development have been included. They've just been accelerated. In addition, the safety surveillance systems in the United States around the COVID-19 vaccines has been historic. And there are four safety surveillance systems. On the day that someone is uh, given the vaccine, they receive a text message daily for the first week, weekly for the next five weeks, and then monthly and followed then quarterly out to the first year after administration of the vaccine. And that's V-Safe. V-Safe is really very helpful because it provides on-the-spot information in a prospective uh, manner, which has been uh, very exciting and millions of people have taken advantage of vSafe. The second method for safety surveillance is called VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. This is a national data set and everyone in the country is able to submit a concern about a vaccine that they have received, whatever adverse event, anything unusual, anything that has them concerned, anyone can provide that information for theirs. Understand that that's not just health professionals, but it is for the public. So there are many reports to theirs, and it is a national data set. But it is important to understand that this identifies potential signals associated with vaccines, but it does not mean cause and effect. So one should understand that by providing information to theirs about the vaccine that they received, it does not necessarily mean that that vaccine caused that condition or concern that they're uh, raising with their report to theirs. The third system is called CISA, and that uh, CISA is the Clinical Immunization Safety Assessment Program. And this is a group of seven experts in research and vaccinology around the country that actually look and explore rare events that happen associated with vaccines as well as conduct uh, rigorous research in order to identify and ensure the safety of uh, vaccines with the administration to the US population. And the fourth system is VSD, the Vaccine Safety Data Link. This is an, a nine uh, integrated health systems around the country covering more than 12,000 members within their health systems, and it actually links all of their electronic health information together so that it can identify, again, patterns associated with the administration of certain vaccines. There have been some reports of myocarditis or pericarditis following COVID vaccination. Were those picked up through one of these safety surveillance systems, and, and what should people know about the risk for something like that? You've now touched on another meeting that we had um, a number of weeks ago where it was identified that there was inflammation of the heart muscle or the tissue around the heart muscle 
So what we call myocardium is the muscle of the heart, pericardium, which is the muscle of the, which is the tissue around the heart. Both of those can become inflamed. And in that case, what was noted was after the mRNA vaccines, after both Pfizer and Moderna, the myocarditis or pericarditis that was noted in those patients actually happened within about four days after administration of the uh, vaccine dose. And it was more often after dose number two of the vaccine than dose number one. It was more often seen in males than uh, females as well. And it was more often seen in those 16 through 30 years of age. The Again, the Safety surveillance system in the United States is historic, and the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, identified a signal around myocarditis and pericarditis. ACIP felt that the benefits of the vaccine far outweigh these risks of myocarditis or pericarditis. And all of the cases of myocarditis and pericarditis the hundreds of cases that have been identified, have all done well and fully recovered. And not uh, all of them have ne even necessarily needed to be hospitalized or needed special uh, treatment. And as you also pointed out, myocarditis can be a very serious condition involving the heart muscle, and it can be seen after certain viruses, most commonly after Coxsackie, a virus that we uh, often see during the summer months. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so, you know, we talked before about how quickly this vaccine came to market and, and, and the collaboration around the world that went into getting this vaccine to market. But it seems like this vaccine is one of the most scrutinized vaccines uh, probably ever. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I should say that the VSAFE is a new, that, that cell phone based text messaging system, but the other uh, safety surveillance systems have been available for decades. The VAERS, the CISA, and the VSD are, are safety systems that have been in place for decades and helping to monitor all the vaccines that we administer to children as well as adults. And we, by adding VSAFE, we're closely monitoring, as you say, I agree with you totally. It is historic, the, the, the scrutiny that the COVID-19 vaccines have experienced. Dr. Bernstein, uh, this committee just met recently. Uh, you mentioned uh, a higher level of, of meetings uh, this past year. You know, what was this latest meeting about and, and what were the goals? So the latest meeting that we had primarily was around a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome that uh, appears to be associated with the J&J &J vaccine. It's also associated with a similar platform, the AstraZeneca vaccine that's not licensed in the United States, but similar GBS cases have been identified in Europe and other parts of the world. So we were presented the data because a signal was identified. There were around 100 cases 
with nearly out of nearly 13 million doses of the J&J vaccine administered in the United States. Most of the cases developed in uh, within the first two weeks after administration of the vaccine. And you need to understand that GBS, as many of you know, is a rare neurologic uh, disorder that uh, where the immune system damages the nerves and results in weakness and difficulty breathing. Some people need to actually be put on a uh, ventilator because of the uh, paralysis. So it is a serious medical condition, but of the 100 cases, um, most of them have done really quite uh, well. I should point out after the discussion, as we reviewed the data, that all the cases have not been adjudicated yet, meaning that it is not clear for sure that necessarily this is cause and effect, meaning the J&J vaccine caused the Guillain-Barre syndrome that was seen in those 100 uh, patients. Most of the cases that were seen were seen of you know, GBS were seen in, in uh, people 50 years of age and older. And that's the age group that usually Guillain-Barre is seen. In fact, it's often seen in people over 65 and older. But again, most of the uh, population in the United States has received the mRNA vaccines, either Pfizer or Moderna, rather than the J&J &J vaccine, which is why uh, it's been hypothesized that it's a little younger age group that's been associated with uh, GBS. Fortunately, most of the patients do recover well, which is encouraging. And the decision uh, after discussion was that it's important for us to inform patients as well as providers about the potential association so that patients can be well informed before receiving the vaccine and also know that if they develop any symptoms in the first couple of weeks after the vaccine, that they quickly seek uh, professional uh, evaluation. One thing that I wanna add uh, that's important uh, around myocarditis and also around GBS is that there are emergency use authorization fact sheets that are available for both providers as well as the public. And additional information about the possible association between myocarditis, pericarditis, and the mRNA vaccines, as well as information around GBS and the J&J &J vaccine, information has been added to these EUA fact sheets because we do want everyone to be well-informed. Yeah, I think it's important for people to know that, that that this group, like what you said before, how how diverse this group is and how many people and, and specialists are on this group. But this group, basically this ACIP group, you're like a watchdog group looking out for the public. <laughs> I don't know that I would <laughs> consider us as a watchdog but certainly, uh, as you may be aware, when vaccines are um, developed and what generally happens is there's an advisory committee to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and they're responsible for either approving a vaccine for emergency use authorization 
or licensing a vaccine for use in the United States. It then moves to the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices of the CDC to develop policy recommendations for how these licensed or EUA uh, authorized vaccines are used. And yes, we monitor closely because we recognize that this is a dynamic process and people, we have 330 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions have received COVID-19 vaccines. So it's imperative that we monitor the safety as well as the effectiveness of these uh, vaccines on a prospective basis. The ACIP has three guiding principles. One, science. Science always drives the decisions that we make, but it is not science alone that drives our decision-making. It also includes implementation as well as, as ethics. And when we evaluate the scientific merit of the data that were presented, we actually look at something called evidence to recommendations. And that's important because it includes the benefits and harms, as well as the values, the acceptability, the equity, resource use, and feasibility of the recommendations that we're making. And that's really very important for the population to understand that it's driven by science, but we do look very closely at how to implement these vaccine recommendations, as well as making it equitable so everyone can receive the vaccine. Yeah. And you know, uh, Dr. Bernson, we always like to end on a positive note. So what gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? I believe that people want to be healthy. I believe that people want to be able to interact socially. I believe people want to get back to their normal lives. And the way for us to do that is by getting vaccinated. And I think that more and more people are understanding and learning that the way for us to do that is to get vaccinated so that we can move toward a more normal life. I recognize that there are some people that will absolutely refuse vaccines no matter what. And then there are others that will get in line to get a vaccine right from the outset. But there are many people who are in the middle that are unsure, have questions, want more information, want it studied. What I have hope is that more and more information and science becomes available, is explained to more and more people within our population, and that convinces people of the importance of getting vaccinated so that we can control this uh, pandemic as soon as possible. Awesome. Well, Dr. Bernstein, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and thank you to co-host Brian Donnelly for, for um, this episode, this very informative episode. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week. And stay safe.
Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.